Today's global consumer is very clear in their demand for safe, affordable, and sustainable protein. To continue to meet these rising expectations requires both leadership and collaboration with food chain stakeholders, academia, and the veterinary community. Merck Animal Health is pleased to amplify the voices of leaders throughout the protein supply chain here on this podcast, caring for animals and creating trust. Hello, and welcome back to our fourth year of the Caring for Animals and Creating Trust podcast. I'm Jane Dukes with the Merck Animal Health Value Chain and Consumer Affairs team, and I'll be your host as we focus this year on what consumers say they want more of, transparency from the food value chain from farm to table. We're going to answer your questions right here on the podcast with the help of our expert guests. Last year, Merck Animal Health conducted a research study that explored consumer desire for transparency in animal protein meat, fish, eggs, and dairy, along with their perceptions of industry transparency when it comes to animal welfare and environmental sustainability. In our survey, two-thirds of consumers reported transparency in animal protein is extremely or very important, and we discovered their reasons are personal. Food safety and nutrition for me and my family topped the list. We also discovered that only 35% of consumers surveyed feel the animal protein industry is transparent about sustainability or animal care and treatment. That's a gap we can help fill. We're going to dig into those questions on our podcast, again with the help of our expert guests, who will also discuss consumer and industry trends in agriculture and food. If you have a question, all you have to do is click the SpeakPipe link in the podcast show notes and let us know what it is. We'll try to get all of your questions answered on the podcast throughout the year. So let's get started. My guests today are Roxy Beck and Tim Hamrick. Roxy is the Director of Consumer Engagement at the Center for Food Integrity, a not-for-profit organization whose members and project partners represent the diversity of today's food system, from farmers and ranchers to food companies and retailers and many others in between. Their website says they exist to answer consumer questions about food, so she's a perfect guest for this first podcast of 2023. Tim is the Senior Director of Communications at Cogent Consulting. He's also the creator and host of the Future of Ag podcast, and he's also the producer of our podcast. Tim, can you believe we're about to go over 1,000 unique listeners? I really can't, but it's exciting, Jane, and it's, uh, it's, I'm going to be honest, a little weird to be you know, a guest here, but uh, you know, we'll, we'll work with it. I appreciate having me on. Yeah, well, I'm glad to have you. So Tim and Roxy, welcome. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me, Jane. Great. So today we're going to take a look at the year ahead as our food system continues to face challenge and change. But first, Roxy, can you please tell our listeners a little about yourself and the Center for Food Integrity? Yeah, of course. I'm a dairy kid from Minnesota, so I like to say I'm a retired farmer, (laughs) first and foremost. Um, But I currently am living in suburbia outside of the Des Moines, Iowa area. And I'm surrounded by eaters who don't really fully understand how their food came to be. So I'm really honored to still have a home in the food system and connected back to my roots. Um, It's a true passion to connect the dots from farm fields to refrigerators, you know, in my role at the Center for Food Integrity. That's great. You know, we're looking forward to your insights. I know you have a lot to share. Tim, you've been producing our podcast for four years now, and you have a podcast on your own. Please tell us a little bit about yourself. You're a farm kid from Northern California and uh, fill our listeners in on your podcast. Sure. Yeah, I'm excited to talk transparency because my upbringing was a very small farm in Northern California where we had a niche business uh, selling animals to ethnic markets. So we sold pigs and goats to uh, Hispanic markets and and ducks to Asian markets. Their needs were kind of being underserved in our area of the North Bay of California. 
and uh, they they wanted the ultimate transparency. They wanted to see the animal themselves before uh, it was processed in, in Turneedon. So uh, it was really interesting to have those conversations growing up. But then I went kind of the opposite direction in some ways, and I went into grain merchandising. So I kind of saw not only the direct to consumer, small local agriculture, but uh, really the much larger scale of Midwest row crops that really kind of power the food system and make the the fact that we have grocery store shelves full all the time and got to see what agriculture looked like from from that perspective. And so that really caused me to have a lot of questions and a lot of thoughts that I wanted to share. So in 2015, as you mentioned, I I launched this Future of Agriculture podcast, which has led to helping other great clients with podcasts such as this one. Oh, well, we, we appreciate it. And wow, you've really done it all. So, okay, thanks, Tim. Now let's answer some questions. Roxy, we're going to start with you. So we're going to invite our listeners to submit questions um, as we go along throughout the year. But for now, what are the top one or two questions the Center for Food Integrity gets about food and, and how do you answer them? Well, at the Center for Food Integrity, we have stakeholders from across the supply chain. So first and foremost, we're a member organization, and we really believe that trust is the most intangible, yet valuable asset that you bring. And so some of our questions come directly from the food system. Uh, some of those questions come from the other side, which is the eater, the consumer. So let's actually start with consumers. All of the questions that we're getting in this realm are some version of, can I trust my food? These are somewhat related, Jane, to exactly those research insights you said you've uncovered in your most recent research. They're related to food safety, sustainability, production practices, and ingredients. But the overall questions come in and they're about the impact of food on my health. And for these, the way we answer those is we're really steadfast in reassuring that the food in the United States is the safest on the planet, that those who are in food production have made leaps and bounds in sustainability gains, that the diversity of today's food system empowers consumers to make the choice that is absolutely best for them, whether they have different dietary needs or taste preferences or budgets. And then finally, it's important that we let them know that we're constantly innovating and leveraging technology to improve all aspects of food. That is particularly important to the youngest consumers, starting with the Gen Zers who are, yes, 12 to about 25-ish, you know, and then the, the millennials who the oldest now are about 42. So maybe not young by some standards, but they want to know where is food coming from? How is it impacting me? On the other side of that coin then is those that come to us in the food system. And because we are really focused on trust and earning trust for the full system, given that we work across it, the question we get from those in the industry oftentimes come through when there's a sense that trust may be waning. Companies with technologies or products they feel are at risk of being misunderstood or maybe not accepted in the first place. Agricultural associations feeling frustrated about consumer sentiment. And in these cases, we're equipping those across the food system with our research-based insights, strategies, and then practical tactics and tips to engage in Grow Trust. There's a lot to unpack there. Do you think that part of the problem is that consumers are so far removed from the farm? So we're three to four generations removed from the farm nowadays, so they don't know a lot about food and farming. And so that lack of information leads to mistrust. At the same time, we've just come through a pandemic. I think the pandemic contributed to lack of trust, you know, made the lack of trust even larger. How would you respond to that? How, what do you think about that? 
we absolutely are in a situation where we know what 1%, maybe 2%, depending on the type of production you're doing, of people are directly involved in, in food production. There are many, many more people involved in the food system, but certainly this triple, quadruple, whatever we've been in, uh, threat of the system that's been going on over this last couple of years are making people question. The other major factor that's been happening long before, you know, the influence of a pandemic and a lot of different worldly events like the crisis in Ukraine is the influence of digital connections, digital media. When we think back to our childhood, we had, you know, a couple sources of where we could get information about food. It might have been the news and food packaging. Today, there is an abundance and a nonstop train of information coming at us, and people are leveraging social media channels, Google searches and other you know, search engines, and seeing information about food come at them from influencers of all types. And so when influencers share that information about what they're seeing, it all of a sudden already comes with a level of predetermined trust. And when they start to see information that then questions what they thought they understood about the system from which food comes, that's where we start to see real anxiety, skepticism, and concern. Right, right. So there's there's really a, a need to bridge that gap. And through transparency, I think, you know, information leads to knowledge and, and knowledge erases that concern and doubt. Thanks. That's a, that's a lot of great information. Tim, you cover some pretty weighty topics on your podcast for the agricultural audience. I was taking a look at all of your episodes since 2015. That's a lot of episodes. Um, consumers are three to four generations removed from the farm. Like we said, what are the top one or two questions you get asked about agriculture and how do you answer them? Yeah, I'll answer it two ways. Number one is what I was finding is that the non-ag people that were actually finding my podcast, uh, and I realized this early on, were finding it based on mutual interests in things like technology, in things like health, and things like sustainability. It was sort of this shared values that I was putting out there into the world based on my interest in agriculture, and they were sort of latching onto it based on their interest in, in those things from the other side and sort of finding those connections. And so that was a fun insight for me early on in the podcast is like, okay, what's going to bring people to agriculture isn't me sort of like, you know, beating them over the head with ag facts. It's connecting on shared values like those, uh, which was kind of cool. But as far as people like outside of agriculture that are not necessarily podcast listeners, so they're not to the point where they want to spend, you know, 40 minutes of their week listening to a podcast about agriculture, but they know that I'm in the industry. The, the big one I get is some variation on this quote unquote big ag. It's this thing of like, oh, I know local farmers and every farmer I meet is great. We love farmers, but it's this big ag ruining the food system. And so we have to kind of sort through like, what do you what do you mean by big ag? And it's sort of this um, undefined boogeyman that uh, somebody online has sort of convinced them to be worried about every time they eat. And it really is a concern because I, I for one, you know, in a population of, of 8 billion-ish people, uh, want my agriculture to be large enough to, to take care of as many of those people as possible. And so we kind of go through like, what, what exactly do you mean by big ag? And most times they don't know, they just feel like it's something they should be worried about. And then try to figure out what there is to be concerned about in that regard. So that's a, that's a big conversation that happens most often because it's very undefined but I think there's some fear out there about what that means for people. Uh, the second one, I would say lately, well, egg prices <laughs> lately, but other than that, you know, regenerative agriculture of like, well, why can't we just make all our agriculture more regenerative? And again, it, it starts with being a kind of a, an ill-defined term of like, yeah, we, we all want to regenerate our soil. We all want to regenerate our water resources. But um, it, it's sort of, again, from these uh, influencers that you were talking about, Jane, 
there is this fear of like there's regenerative and then there's not regenerative and we need to be worried about that stuff that's not. And so I think uh, those types of conversations uh, lately, at least, have been what I've been having most of. You know, that's so much, again, to unpack, you know, this theory of big ag and anything big is bad. I'm sure Roxy can jump in because uh, Center for Food Integrity has done their trust research for years and years. What consumers don't realize is that 98% of farms in this country are family owned. I've even had people in the industry say, well, corporate farms. I'm like, what is a corporate farm? You know, most farms, 98% are family owned. So we still have a knowledge gap there. And, and then regenerative ag. And, and there's a lot of research out there about regenerative ag right now. And people want, you know, regenerative ag. But when you ask them what is regenerative ag, they don't know. It's ag that regenerates. That's usually what yeah. you get. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, they don't know. Roxy, um, Tim mentioned this connecting on a shared value, and I saw you nodding, and I know that we've worked together a lot on this is how we're going to win the day is by connecting on a shared value with consumers. What could you add to that? Yeah, when the Center for Food Integrity formed, we said we want to earn trust in this system we call food. It's a big, heady mission, and it's hard because we see the food system's diversity the choice that it offers and, you know, all of the concerns and challenges that happen in this industry as needing to be handled systematically. If you change one gear in the system, everything else changes. So it's big. And so we said, if we're going to earn trust, if we're going to build trust in the system, we better do some research and figure out what it's going to take. So our baseline research that we did back in 2007, it is peer reviewed and published for those who want to check it out. I'd be happy to share. But this base of research really dug into what do we know? about building trust in food. And the researcher we looked uh, worked with, excuse me, Dr. Stephen Sapp at Iowa State, found that there were three drivers of trust in food. The first is what he called influential others. You can think of these as human beings. <laughs> these are the people that people choose to put in their life. They are experts, truly subject matter experts like doctors, dietitians, veterinarians, etc. maybe even the mechanic. But somebody who somebody is choosing for a specific job or you know, issue that they need help with. The other one is this more values-based connection. It's our family and our friends, right? Our circle of social influence that we find ourselves in. The second tier of drivers are the information that's shared by those people. And there are only two types of information that we uncovered were actually important in driving trust. The first one was what we love in food and agriculture and in business. It's facts, it's science, it's data. It's the preponderance of evidence that tells us this is the right thing to do. And we have really good metrics and you know outstanding results when we do these things. That's one type of information that's imperative. The only other type of information that's imperative is Tim, what you said, a values-based connection. This is something that he labeled as confidence. You are somebody who shares the same values, who wants the same end goals, who maybe even shares life passions, interests, hobbies, habits, or even you know lives in the same area as me, or has children like me, or has the same dog as me. When we pressure tested then, okay, if we need data and science, right, to back what we say is true and drive trust, and we also need this squishier who I am, my passions, my, you know, my goals to come in, are those two types of information created equally? And if you know anything about relationship building, the answer, of course, is absolutely not. It is three to five times more important to establish a relationship and have a conversation based on our shared values than it is to bring science-based information into that conversation. 
And what we found is that that's what's going to get us to a spot where consumers can say, this is a trustworthy system because it has people in it who act in a way that would make the same decisions that I would because they have family, because they care about environment, because they want to do better. And maybe even they like regenerative agriculture. (laughs) I, I love your passion on the topic. And Tim, I saw you nodding your head a lot. What could you add there? Oh, yeah. And no, I, I think we see this play out all the time online where uh, someone will make some sort of claim of some sort without any data. And then, you know, somebody comes in and provides the data. And then the response is, yeah, of course, you're going to say that because you have an agenda or because you're from the industry. And that's where it's a disconnect on on shared values. It's like we, we don't believe the same thing. So your facts are not as good as my even non facts because we're just not thinking the same way or caring about the same thing. So absolutely to everything she said. All right. So as we noted at the top of the podcast, 2023 is going to be another year of challenge and change. Roxy, on the retail side of the food value chain, we're still facing inflation, supply chain issues, labor shortages, and increasing consumer expectations for food, which you touched on a little bit, and food brands. What can we expect in 2023 and how is the Center for Food Integrity helping members continue to adapt to these challenges? It's like inflation, supply chain, labor, lions and tigers and bears. Like, it's all overwhelming all at the same time. Um, you know, the, the thing is consumers and everyone in the supply chain is feeling this. So food companies on average have seen direct costs, costs of goods like ingredients, labor costs, um, energy expenditures. They're up 12% in 2022, and that's the largest increase in this century. Consumers are adjusting to those higher food prices and hopefully industry data is showing that they peaked in August of 2022, but we've not experienced those increases since the 1980s, except eggs, Tim, per your note. (laughs) Um, But because prices are up for everything, not just food, it seems that consumer sentiment is, you know, not necessarily negative towards the food system. It's kind of negative toward everything they have to buy. Right. Tim, on the agricultural side of the food chain, Roxy mentioned a few of these things, but Purdue University's Agricultural Economics Annual Report says the signs are pointing to another uncertain and volatile year in agriculture, inflation, higher input costs for labor, feed and transportation, and drought that continues to plague the cattle sector, not to mention, hopefully, a new farm bill. What can we expect in 2023 and how are farmers and ranchers going to adapt to these challenges? And and how do we share that, what's happening in agriculture with consumers? so that we're bringing them along on the journey. Yeah, there's a, a lot of really good questions wrapped up in there. Yeah, I know. Sorry. The, the good news is you're, you're catching me on a really optimistic week. I just had a week in North Dakota talking to farmers and I was uh, there alongside a couple people from the food industry, one from General Mills, one from PepsiCo, um, who are forming a trusted advisor partnership with agronomists in North Dakota to kind of figure out alongside consultants and farmers how we can, you know, fight through some of these challenges, but also do it in a more sustainable way. And I was just really encouraged by the level of engagement from these food companies and by what I was hearing from farmers. We ended up doing 10 interviews while I was there. There's an optimism out there that that I don't think I would have got last year. You know, fertilizer prices are still high, but they're off their highs. Commodity prices are still high. And um, most farmers that I talked to thought this would be a better economic year for them this year than it was last year, which is great. Uh, On the flip side, 
because those commodity prices are still high, people who have to buy those commodities, which are not just consumers, are also, you know, producers of, you know, meat, milk and eggs, among other things. That means they're still going to have high input prices. So that still puts them in a crunch this year. And I think it's important for for people to understand that there is no monolithic farmer. All of them have different dynamics and, and um, different drivers to their business. Uh, but anyway, I was encouraged by what I was seeing and hearing in North Dakota this week with food companies, farmers and agronomists alike at Agronomy on Ice on there. And I, I'm hopeful for this year. Now, that said, I don't know that there's such thing as a normal year anymore. Uh, there's going to be weather volatility. There's going to be market volatility. There's going to be unexpected events, as it seems like we have to face every year. Maybe before my career, there used to be normal years. It just doesn't feel like that's the case uh, anymore, if it ever was. Maybe it never was. I'm not sure. Um, one of those big wild cards you mentioned is the farm bill. Will it be kind of another farm bill as usual? Or will a lot of this climate smart interest in agriculture uh, have a more substantial impact? I think that remains to be seen. And I am not knowledgeable enough to even give you an indication of, of whether that be the case. But I think those are some of the big questions we're asking headed into uh, the farm bill by the end of the year. One of the things you said um, that piqued my interest is that you were encouraged by the level of engagement from the food companies when they were out on the farms. As we think about the food value chain, starting at the farmer ranch and then moving through the packer processors until you get to the end of the food chain with the uh, retailers and consumers. Maybe the key is getting more food companies on the farm so that they understand what's happening and they can communicate with their customers who are consumers. What do you think about that? I think absolutely. And I think on the farm would be a great place to start, but just in an environment where there are agendas, which is kind of the great the great thing about this week. Agronomy on ice is essentially it's on a frozen lake. Devil's Lake, North Dakota. Everybody has ice houses. So it's basically like a tailgate with ice houses. And it's just all these ag companies, food companies, farmers and agronomists on this frozen lake in North Dakota. What could go wrong? Right. But uh, it, it was a lot of fun, but it was candid conversation. They weren't there to listen to a workshop or a keynote. They were just there to engage and talk. And that got me most excited about, okay, we can really build something here if we can start to have these candid conversations throughout the supply chain. It was it was cool. That is cool. Were you ice fishing? Well, I don't know how much fishing actually got done. There was a fishing derby the day before, but mostly this was an agricultural social type event. <laughs> On ice in fishing shanties. Okay. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. So with so much going on in the farm to table space, how do we strive to be transparent no matter where we sit in the food value chain? Roxy, I'll start with you. Transparency is such a key with building trust. And transparency is about truly listening to what stakeholders need and want, proactively reaching out, providing that information, and then being willing to engage in a two-way dialogue. Never has that been more important. We have all of the tools to do it, and our younger generations will demand it. And remember, we have so much going on that is going well and in alignment with consumer values that we shouldn't shy away from leveraging you know, the tools, um, the channels that we have to do that. I think one of the things to remember is wherever you are, there is an audience waiting. And the flip side of that is if you don't speak up, there will be others who will be happy to fill that void. Um, so where we have the opportunity to really tune in, talk about food safety, talk about sustainability, talk about innovation and technology, those are going to be wins for us nearly every time. 
something that's really important to understand about being transparent and really earning our way into the hearts and minds of consumers is they want technology and innovation to be helpful to provide solutions. They're seeing the abundance of turbulence happening that is impacting the food supply chain. And they're going, we see technology helping us in so many aspects of our life. Innovation is happening everywhere and it's exciting and it's personally benefiting me. So where agriculture, food system entities, everybody, again, from farm fields to refrigerators can talk about, here's how innovation is solving a direct desire that consumers have spoken about and said, we want regenerative. Well, then let's talk about what that means, independent of whether they can define it. Regenerative is you know, kind of this, leave things better than you found them. So we need to break that down and say, this is what it means for me on my operation. And here's how I, I individually have the opportunity to impact that topic. Love it. Tim, what about you? Well, I think um, you mentioned the farm to table movement in your in your question, and I think it's a fantastic way to connect on a local basis. But I, I do think it's really, really important to acknowledge that most of the farm to table connections are for people who have you know extra disposable income to pay more for their food. And um, what I don't like is when I see out there is someone trying to develop a farm to table business by making people feel guilty that they have to buy their food at the grocery store. You know, obviously, I think that's something that it's just a pet peeve of mine because obviously it's great to be in a position to pay premiums for farm to table food, but we have to really acknowledge that there are people struggling to pay for the food that they need to feed their families. And um, the fact that we can have a you know commodity-based system that can make it as cheap and accessible and consistent and abundant as possible for them to have that is really, really important. So I, I, I think both, it's a yes and for me, right? Like we need both systems. And I think the farm to table connection is great to see. I encourage it for those who can, but I also, I don't want to leave in the dark how important it is to have the safety net of the food system we enjoy, at least in this country. I want to jump in there, Jane. I think it's really important for people who are the decision makers throughout the supply chain to understand what Tim just said. Being able to understand that opting into new choices, new production systems, different types of markets and offer that to consumers is wonderful. We live in a country where choice is king and what a great system to live in. But those who are making those supply chain decisions, the procurement managers, where they are opting into one type of production system and therefore opting out of an abundance of other choices, they are directly putting at risk the most underserved, the most at-risk types of consumers in our society. And we do have them. (laughs) Yeah, right. We still have a hunger problem. All right, let's talk about generations before we uh, close for the day. So our research showed that generationally, Gen Xers and Millennials, I know, um, Roxy, you were talking about Gen Z, but our research showed that Gen Xers and Millennials value transparency around animal care and environmental sustainability the most. And they also view the animal protein industry as the most transparent, 6 to 14% more transparent, in fact, than consumers in general. Um, what kind of generational differences do you see, Roxy, when we're talking about transparency? Definitely with transparency, it has to do with the type of information they're seeking out. So they want information about food safety primarily. That's the one that's most important. And there's kind of a caveat to this one. Information that directly ties to food safety could be that like we have oversight by USDA or FDA. Understand that that's table stakes. It's good to talk about it because sometimes they don't understand it's in place, that regulatory framework. So talking about it is great. But if that's the only way that you're saying that we, you know, we follow food safety standards, that won't be enough. 
So first and foremost, if you're going to talk about food safety, don't shy away from mentioning that oversight, but then also talk about, and here's what we do to ensure, you know, to your point, livestock are cared for very well, and we're really looking towards sustainability improvements. The other topics that we absolutely see that are going to be imperative for younger generation, I know Gen Z and millennial for sure, in addition to food safety, it's sustainability, it's transparency. And I want to talk for just a second about this word sustainability. Again, much like regenerative agriculture, people inside of the industry and outside of it are very frustrated by it. They know it means something better, but there's not a firm definition. Sustainability in the mind of the consumer today is about environmental sustainability, yes, but it's also about food access. It's about nutrition and overall health. And is this thing I'm eating sustainable for my my future and, and my sustainability as a person on this planet? So it's a big interwoven topic. I think the other thing that we have to pay attention to if we're trying to close the information gap is to listen more than we talk. The reality is they don't expect perfection. They don't expect sudden change or abundant change, but what they do expect is that they have a voice and that they can help shape, at least here's what our concerns are, here's what we're skeptical of, and then seeing you know change over time that is better suited to what it is that they're looking for from their system. Right. Thank you. And and Tim, on the on the agricultural side, you know, you're a farm kid. There's generational change on the farm, too. And the millennials and, and the Gen Xers are, are moving up to take over the farm. And we're not just doing it like our grandfather used to do it in many cases. What do you think about transparency with this newer generation who are moving in in succession to take over these farms? Yeah, I don't have uh, an exact study or, or data to back this up, but anecdotally, I will say, and I'm one of those old millennials, 41. So I'm one of those <laughs> ancient millennials. Um, but I think people kind of my age, as they're playing more leadership roles on the farm, are more interested in embracing technology, uh, more sustainability conscious. And because of that, I think we will start to see more data available to tell the story of what's actually happening from farm to fork. And one thing that's interesting that we've seen play out in recent years is the interest in climate smart agriculture and carbon sequestration is creating potential incentives to digitize the farm more. And when I say digitize the farm, we'll know more data about farming practices and we'll be able to kind of utilize that throughout the supply chain to be transparent. But ultimately it does come down to like, okay, that's great to have that data. We need to also have that shared values component that we've been talking about too. And that's a harder one, right? Is how do you do that at scale? Most people are farming because they want to farm. That's what they want to do. And so how do we also align some of those shared values that uh, as we've heard on this podcast today and in other episodes are different from one generation to the other. And so that's the part that I just don't know, but I have noticed the people that are my age as they start to take more leadership roles on the farm are more likely to embrace some of these things that I think uh, open up interesting opportunities in the future for transparency. That's awesome. Roxy, did you have anything to add? I would just say that it's going to be simpler than you think it might be. We actually just completed, and we've done influencer engagement tours and experiences for more than a decade, but we just completed one. And the aha moments and the surprises that we got, the verbatims were things like, I had no idea there was this much technology. I think it's really important to keep innovating. We've been told over and over to be scared. I just don't think I believe that. We have to trust this system. I had no idea that there were these regulatory checks and balances in place. And guess what? Animals have doctors and nutritionists just like humans do. These might seem like low bar things, and these might actually be things, these types of statements that will frustrate the heck out of those in agriculture because they're going, 
this isn't earth shattering. This isn't new or innovative. We've been doing this for our entire existence, right? But I guess that's my encouragement. So if these are the things that were the aha moments and you've got so much more, a bevy of activities and things you're working on and innovating towards, go for it. Try out a couple new audiences and list some aha moments. Surprise and delight is always better than shock and awe. <laughs> and if we jump into those uh, science and facts and all of that, we might get that shock and awe reaction. But if we can absolutely listen really for the underlying values, we can jump in. We could interpret that that means something that it totally doesn't. So we, we have to ask the question, tell me a little bit more about that. I know you have kids, but is there something in particular that's confusing? That will help them get to a better space to define exactly what it is they're concerned about, whether it's any one of those elements on you know sustainability, whether it's about health and nutrition, etc. So be really willing to ask questions that do not serve to educate the person who's talking but that serve to educate yourself about the perspective they bring, because you might be surprised at how much you have in common and how easy that conversation can go from there. And that's a great place to leave it, Roxy. So for wherever you are in the food value chain, get out there and have some conversations, find your audience. As we've said a lot, if you don't share information or tell your story, someone else might do it for you and you may not like what they have to say. So this has been a great conversation. Thank you, Tim and Roxy, for joining us today to share your knowledge and insights. Thanks also to our listeners. We'd love for you to rate, review, or subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. And we'll be back next month to celebrate National Ag Day with my guest Tara Vanderdusen, environmental scientist, dairy woman, and social media influencer extraordinaire, and Brandy Buzzard, cowgirl rancher and devoted advocate for agriculture. Click the link in the podcast show notes and submit your questions about agriculture and food for our upcoming guests. We'll see you next month. 